Chora at Okoye, which is just south of Piccadilly Circus, uh, in a modern and it, and it must be said rather soulless development that's in, incredibly central, but but also somehow out the way. And it's certainly a, an incongruous location for such an exciting and um, individualistic restaurant. Working out of what is essentially a tiny glass box, founders Jeremy Chan and Iri Hassan Udulke serve up some of London's most interesting and delicious food. Though it's named after a district in the Nigerian city Lagos, the dishes at Akoi aren't reimaginings of those of West Africa, although, rather confusingly, some do reference well-known dishes, including jollof rice. The duo don't like to pigeonhole their food, but when pushed, they'll talk about high-quality British produce, the sort of stuff you'd see in far more pricey places, and bold spicing and umami-rich flavours. It's around lunchtime, but Okoye are evening only at the moment. A couple of chefs are doing mise en place in the background for tonight's service, and, and suppliers are coming in and out. And rather amusingly, Jason Atherton and one of his head chefs has just walked by and peered through the window, undoubtedly checking to see how busy places are. It's tough out there, and the pair have responded by dropping the tasting menu in favour of a regularly changing compact menu composed of around 15 dishes, with more emphasis given to comfort and familiarity. Clearly, a lot of restaurants have switched things up to get through this period, but the changes to Akoi's offering are major, and on the face of it, a little surprising for a restaurant of such gastronomic ambition. I start by asking Jeremy, the chef component of this successful back-and-front-of-house partnership, about the thought process. We felt quite anxious about the pandemic, as everyone else did, and um, the fact that it went on for like four months uh, really kind of set us back and completely killed our momentum. It killed the industry killed uh, the whole you know cultural sort of momentum of the city so to come back as you were just for me seemed not insensitive to our own feelings towards the world and like what what a, a cultural response to a pandemic should be so the food and the menu is like a is a culture is a response to like the pandemic and it's it, while also trying to be as innovative and creative as possible and not lose that integrity, we've kind of put the same level of depth and creativity and detail into the menu, but we've just changed the approach. Um, instead of cooking uh, sort of, I guess, like more ambitious conceptual food, we've instead we've turned it around and put more energy into the details of slightly more familiar concepts, but we've very much made them our own. So... A lot of guests have come here and said, you've said you've launched the casual menu, but actually it's just a, it's, it's one of the best menus we've ever had here because it's um, super comforting, super uh, straightforward in a way, but it's the same level of complexities and layering of flavors and details and produce. And, and um, it's, I think we laugh about it in the kitchen all the time. It's kind of the menu that chefs would like have perverse fantasies about cooking. It's kind of what we're cooking right now for fun. You know, it's like fun, wholesome, delicious food with like a lot of technique, a lot of beautiful produce. And it's kind of like the ultimate thing for us to do. But as Irie explains, it's also about making the Akoi experience more approachable in terms of price point. We also thought that launching with a £100 tasting menu wouldn't really work. Um, And uh, it it seems, well, now now coming now, what, two weeks, one week in? It seems people do want to go out, I guess, to an extent, yeah. and people do, because we've had quite a few requests for the tasting menu. Yeah. 
um, from, and people coming in assuming that that's what they were getting. So uh, maybe maybe there's still a, there's still a market for that. And are there sort of practical uh, advantages to this new way of um, operating? You know, in terms of you know, one obvious thing I thought was obviously with a tasting menu, you can't turn tables, but presumably, but you, you can without a cart. Was that part of it? Or well, with the tasting menu, we, we, we yeah, we can't turn tables, which which is not a bad thing. Um, I guess that will work for COVID because you don't have to have people come in and out. But with the a la carte, we just, we're, just, we're just trying to be more price sensitive, I think. We can't turn tables now with the a la carte either because the reality is we can't have people come in and order a soft drink and a, and a bowl of rice. We, we'll, have, we'll close because our mm-hmm. business costs are too high. It doesn't work. So like, you can't do like ikoi for everyone at you know, under £10 prices yeah. and be the, an incredibly ambitious, innovative restaurant and use the best produce in the world. And you can't have everything. So... The a la carte menu, what it does say is um, you can come in and have a full meal per head spend of under £40, which is as competitive as any restaurant in London. And we arguably have some of the best produce in London and original menus. So I think we're offering something super unique there. But it does give you the chance to go crazy and like have a full experience, mm. which is what really the menu is about. It doesn't really work, this menu, this a la carte menu, if you just have like... Right, so one dish and another dish, like yeah, it's very much like such a diverse set of flavors. You that, try most of it. Yeah, has the service char- style changed to, to to reflect the new direction for for the foods? Yeah, well, it, it has had to change because of the the guidelines we have to adhere to. Um, the staff were all wearing masks when guests are in, um, which which has been a bit of a struggle because the, the communication between you and the guests is is is, is a lot harder with a mask on. Uh, we've also had to, to lean back in terms of service, so we, we have to do less. Uh, we're not topping up water all the time, we're not picking up your napkins when you go to the bathroom. We're just, these are the things that, that involve contacts, we're just trying to do less with them, um, just so that the guests, uh, and, and, and most guests don't realise, they just think we're not, we're not being, being attentive, but it's actually because we, we, we can't. Um, it's, 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 been, it's, been, it's also takes a longer time to service the restaurant because of all the, the disinfecting and all the cleaning yeah. that you have to do. Yeah. And I, did I hear that you streamlined the wine list as well? Yes, we did. Uh, same same idea with the, with the menu. We just thought you'd probably to cut it down and 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 make it make it have some more some more price friendly options. Yeah. So, but it's still flavor flavor driven wine list. Uh, uh, kind of, um, what is the practices of the winemaker? Do they like align with our practices and our farm you know, food producers? And that's it. Geography, culture, region doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all about like, does it work? Yeah. So it's very eclectic. And some wine snobs may look at it and may not see the bottles that they're looking yeah, for, sure. but they will get the wine that works best with, with the food. food. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's an awesome wine list. Like, we don't put things on there because they look cool or because they sound cool or because they've got a cool story. We put them on there because they're actually really, really delicious. Akoi has gone from 32 to about 24 covers. It, it doesn't really look that different. It's just a bit more space, um, particularly in the middle of the restaurant. That's dependent on, on these tables together having four people. The configuration exactly, of the yeah. content. So, so, so the amount of central covers is, has... Um, gone down and also the spent per head has presumably gone down quite dramatically how does that work out 
as financially beneficial then to go to a la carte. It doesn't. That doesn't, that doesn't and, work. And people like, there are a lot of people that say like, thank God you've finally gone to an a la carte. It's like saying, thank God you're finally making less money. It's like, well, unfortunately, like a sustainable restaurant this is a restaurant that like makes money and can feed itself financially. Otherwise, it's just a hobby for yeah. people. And this isn't a hobby for us. This is the goal is to make the restaurant profitable monthly that's it like it's not a this isn't a fantasy for people to just enjoy at our expense <laughs> so but having said that we do want to give a democratic like opportunity to everyone in london and the world to eat here so we, that's why we've done this um but will it last long term we, we don't know yet don't you can't we don't know like it would have to be like it would have to be like guaranteed fully booked 50 covers a night and every single day and, well. and good spend for us to to make it worth our while did, did you not consider some sort of hybrid model where you did the a la carte in, in the week for example and maybe the more tasty menu stuff mm-hmm. in the weekend yeah was that, was we thought, we thought about it we thought about it initially and i think i think i mean we, we decided just to be flexible and, and see how it goes, and yeah. which is what we're doing. And, and uh, yes, it's, it's only one week, yeah. so we'll see how it goes. And if, if and some people have actually started asking for the tasting menu, and we've agreed to do it for some guests if they ask in advance. So I guess I guess it starts there. The other thing is like look look around like central London. Like we only opened, we opened a week ago. To know what to open as a tasting menu was like quite a like scary idea, and like and I think like London, we don't have our international clientele. Yeah, part of the journey of coming here from LA is like to have the tasting menu. So we don't have that, so we have to make it appealing to Londoners as well. So, um, and as you said, it's it's been running for, for for about a week. What has demand been like? And I guess a linked question: How have customers re- responded? Well, I think uh, demand yeah. demand has been better than we thought. Uh, and, 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 and the bookings the bookings are getting are getting better actually. Um, bookings are really good. You they see, are, yeah. They're like really good. I'd say like we're technically full every night within the capacity of what we can do. Yeah. So let's say like um, you know because because of the times we give tables we can't we're not giving people like forty five minute slots we're giving people an hour, hour and a half, half to two hour slots which is quite generous for an a la carte menu. Yeah. So for that time slot allocation we're giving we're technically full every night but because of spacing sometimes we can't get the spacing because of the time it takes to sanitize and 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 get ready for for the next two um akoi has obviously been very well received in london but it but it has had a bit of a a, a bumpy ride for those that don't know the restaurant obviously came close to closing about a year after opening and it was actually saved by the introduction of of a tasting menu to some extent, and the Michelin star that followed afterwards. Did you think that that, that background of having to, to, to sort of face that sort of existential threat, has that, do you think that's made this harder or, or easier for you to deal with as, as a duo? A lot easier. Way easier. Yeah. Like, we can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was really awful. That was, like, really, really terrible experience to nearly, like, to, to like nearly have to close and then suddenly be really busy. We weren't even happy when we got really busy because we were so used to being miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Another notable thing about Okoye is it, is it does have a bit of a history of, of being misunderstood 
you know, over the last year or so, maybe the last two years, it's felt like people have started to understand it a bit more. Are you concerned that these changes might put you back a little bit on that on that journey? Mm, not, not really. really. No, I, it kind of is fine. what it is now, to be honest. Yeah. And I feel like there are no rules anymore. Like, yeah. And I feel like everyone's starting to realise that like, chefs, there aren't really any rules and the cultural boundaries between cuisines are so yeah. blurred and it's important to learn from other cultures and other cuisines and take other influences and acknowledge them when, when they should be acknowledged. And so pretty much we're cooking with like no restrictions everything that comes out of the kitchen right now is just like this is the most insane idea we can do right now so let's do it now and if it's not inspiring to us anymore let's take it off the menu that's it pretty much i asked jeremy who has a cv that includes time at noma and dinner by heston blumenfeld about his favorite dishes on the menu well one dish i'm really excited about is our half fried chicken which i wrote the recipe during lockdown of doing a lot of research into uh, different methods of cooking chicken and also trying to find the right kind of chicken. So we're working with uh, an aged um, outdoor um, organic French chicken from land. And um, these chickens are like really, really wiry and they've got amazing like yellow fat under the skin. The skin is really, really dry. Uh, so when you when you deep fry them, actually the batter doesn't even stick to the skin. So we fry them uh, batterless, Chinese style almost. So they're almost like a Chinese roast fried chicken, incredibly salty like skin. So we steam the chicken first to get an even cooking on the leg and the breast. Um, and we, we have a, a spice salt, which we marinate them in overnight. So we steam them for about three hours and then they're deep fried and then they're marinated in some of the aged beef fat from Philip Warren. And then we make a salt with a hominy miso, um, dried um, fermented uh, scallion powder and a smoked tuna salt, which we blend into a we call it the chicken salt. It's like a MSG powder on like times a thousand, but it's completely organic um, food. And then we uh, season it with that. And then it's served with a sauce made of um, its heart and its liver, which are turned into a liquid parfait and blended into a uh, lacto-fermented Scotch bonnet hot sauce. So it's like a awful hot sauce. Okay, so you your heart out. That's, yeah. uh, that's pretty good. Um, that's quite interesting because often, I speak to a lot of people that do fried chicken and they say that often the, the better the quality of the chicken the, the harder it is to deep fry but it's interesting that you've, you've found a method using a, a much better chicken that works the problem with this is chinese people go crazy for this chicken at the restaurant some cultures it's really funny to watch the different cultures interact with this chicken because it has a better cardiovascular system the dark meat is like very pink mm. even though it's been well cooked it almost it still has blood in it at times and it's like quite you know grisly in a way so you have to really appreciate the, that experience of eating chicken to like enjoy our chicken, and that's how we wanted to serve it. And we leave that we, we we keep the feet on as well, so it's like has this like pretty morbid looking appearance. What else are you, are you particularly pleased with on, on, on the menu? The, the cream spinach, in fact, yeah. everything actually. It's everything. It's, it's the menu that you just yeah. want. To it's eat a bit like it's like a combination of like produce you might see like in a three Michelin star restaurant, and like junk food and like super nice techniques and like farm produce so we've got we've got our jollof rice and now we're serving it with um an aged sheep kebab which has a 60 40 blend of uh, shoulder belly and fat and um we blend it with onions that have been extruded so we squeeze the juice out of the onions and then mince it again through the uh, the sheep mince and it's this extremely bouncy like juicy kebab and then we glaze it with crab custard so it's kind of like 
surf and turf, I guess. Imagine eating a kebab with like the most insanely like shellfishy, like spicy custard. And then you put truffles on it as well. It's, it's kind of yeah. It reminds me a little bit of like Joe Beef or, or Pierre de Cochon in like Canada, like a little bit of like over the topness, like over the top indulgence. But then we managed to pair it back with some really beautiful vegetables on the menu as well, and like ikijime fish. And then we've the wines have been giving us like some absolutely insane beef, like we've never seen before. We've got a nine-year-old Frisian beef on the menu today. So like it's produce that taken into a different context, you'd see in like the ultimate restaurants. And then why can't we do the best with it here and just change the context, you know, like. Are there any dishes from the, the old Akoi menu on, on the new menu or they've been reworked? How's that worked? With just the rice, just the rice, think, yeah. Just the rice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people come in and still ask, they, they bring out the picture, there's the young picture of the plantain and they, and they think, this, this, what this? No, sorry. We do have plantain, but it's, it's not the same. Yeah. yeah, I saw that you had a new plantain dish, but it's, it's, it's quite different by the look of it. It's ugly delicious, this one. Akoi is obviously, you know, it's named after a district in, in Lagos. That's, that is right, isn't it? Lagos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to some extent, you are championing African dishes and ingredients to some extent which is unusual in top-end gastronomy. Has the Black Lives Matter movement caused you to reflect on Ikoyi's role as a high-end restaurant that has links to Africa and is at least perceived by some as an African restaurant? Yes um, and no. (laughs) Um, hmm, How do you answer that question in the best way possible? Um, I think there's an issue with being uh, lumped into categories. And I think, like, in fact, this Black Lives Matter movement I feel like incredible solidarity with what's going on, but I feel like there's almost a perpetuation of this categorization of humanity into groups when they're like, oh, look at poor little old Ikoi, yeah. like, go visit them they, as a they, black-owned restaurant. They've made restaurant. us, they've made us like, a victim as well, which, yeah. we're, I like, mean, we're not really, we, 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 we're grateful for the support, but it's not, it doesn't, it's, we're not really that, not really that in that, in that box that they're trying to put us in. And, um, and they miss... And a lot of the information, although I know people are trying to be helpful, they're saying things that doesn't true, like London's, South London's West African restaurant where you can get a taste of authentic Nigerian cuisine. Yeah. Like, I've seen a lot of that going out. And, like, as much as I, like, I'm grateful for people caring about us, it's, like, why I feel like the care is, like, misdirected. Because if you cared that much, you probably know the detail. And I don't know, yeah. you, you, you probably would want to know a bit more about the restaurant before, if you actually really want to help. But people... I don't want to say are using, but they want to seem like they're doing something and they're being positive and they just pull us into that as, as the way to do that. It kind of perpetuates like racial categorization and too, too much as well. Like, can't you just like talk about the, the restaurant and like its food and the things that we've done and, you know, like we're cooking with chefs in Japan and Sweden and Australia and in America. It's such a global restaurant. It, it's not, it shouldn't just be limited to one thing. As, as, as we said, we, we do feel in, in solidarity with, with the movement, but not, not, not in the way that, that people think we should. Yeah, I'll leave it that way. Yeah, it's complicated, basically. Yeah. The, 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 the peak of the interest happened during lockdown when the restaurant was closed. But yeah. did, did you find that you suddenly got a little bit more a, a, attention from perhaps journalists during that period? Probably, that yeah, probably online, yeah, on, on social media a lot, yeah. yeah. It, was a I mean, it, would be, it would have been great to be open then, to be fair. <laughs> but, but, we, but we were closed, so 
and, and it, I was I was actually interested to see if that will feed into us uh, being open and pe- if, if we'll get because there's a lot of chat about support and people saying that they're going to do this and do that, but then I mean. I mean, probably give it time, but I haven't seen those same people, you know, that same crowd come, come in to back it up. What, what is the PR strategy with, with uh, Koi? Obviously, you, you work with an agency that, that has worked with some of the biggest names in the business, like Hesse Blumenfeld, Sapphains, people like that. But it feels like the approach at Koi is sort of very targeted. You've achieved international recognition, but it's, you know, you, you, you're not, you know, when we're saying you're not really the sort of chef I can see on Great British menu, in all honesty. True. Which is shaking your head for the benefit of the tape. Um, what, what, what is the, what, what is the, 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 the strategy? What, what do you want to be seen as? Having integrity and uh, being, you know, uh, kind of ourselves and to be uh, as creative and honest with customers as possible and to give them our absolute best. Yeah. And to be true to like what we believe is the best experience we can give to people. And unfortunately, that's very difficult to relate to people in this country yeah. because this country likes to categorize so much that it bl- blocks people from being able to just uh, relate to people in a, in a human level and to kind of perceive creativity and everything has to be like in a box, in a box or considered or uh, put into context. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, like the globe, the global community responds super well to that. But unfortunately, in London, it's hard to. Yeah hard to like relate to people here like even if we're using like the same produce and we're like making something absolutely insanely delicious with something simple because it's contextualized slightly differently mm-hmm. it's almost like it kind of like it, kind of, it almost, yeah. almost isolates people it isolates people, um, yeah. and because they need to understand it in yeah. the context of, of the box and and when we because we don't fit in we don't really fit in any box really and and we're not really not really standard by any means so people struggle with that, I think, especially especially in London. But you, the goal, I think the goal was always to just be like, screw that. Like, we're not going to like sell out and like suddenly categorize and be... I think this restaurant would have maybe been more commercially successful if we tried to be an African restaurant. Of course. It would have been commercially successful. Yeah. We'd have like way more Londoners coming in thinking they're eating African food. So what do you, what, what do you tell, say, and I, I, I totally get this thing about not putting restaurants in, in boxes. I think, I think definitely journalists are guilty about trying to put things in neat little boxes. But, but when someone, I say when you meet someone at the pub, like somebody you don't yeah. know, what, what do you say? Yeah, what, I, I how do you, how do you question hard. all the time? I think, I just, yeah, what is it for you? What kind of food do you serve? Because <laughs> yeah, that's always the first question. I always just refer to the farms that we work with. I just say, like, we work with some of the best producers I've ever worked with on the planet. I've traveled all over the world. I mean, this is a bit of a long answer. I just say, like, we work with amazing farms in Britain. We cook very, like, um, intricate spice-based cuisine. By that point, they're bored, Jerry. Yeah, they're really bored. They want to know, is it African? Is it British? (laughs) Is it Chinese fusion? What is it? It's just you, you lose them after after three. It's lines. modern British. That's what it is. It's modern British. I I, I say innovative. Uh, if I can't be bothered with them, <laughs> if they want to ask more, they can. If not, then leave it there. And you did you did initially research and sort of sort of explore Sherlock cuisine, and and also and also some of the ingredients I guess associated with, with it. Are, are you continuing to do that, or or have you now sort of yeah. broadened it? Because it feels like 
sometimes, obviously, we talked a few times since Special Open. It feels like you've perhaps moved a little bit more interested in, in Asian flavours, maybe, since Special Open. Is that fair? Or? No, 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 no. I think it opened with those flavours as well. It, it's opened with completely open mind. Uh, I wouldn't say... It's, it's, I'd definitely say like that the, the, the spices, the peppercorns, the chilies, the ferments, those have always been part of our pantry, but we've got our own pantry. It's very much our own unique thing. It's our own misos. It's our own um, sort of interpretations of African-style ferments, um, Japanese-style ferments. It's, it's very much our, our own flavor profile, which I'd say is like peppercorny, umami, buttery, smoky, sour, um, kind of like rich. Uh, those are kind of our flavors, you know, like big, tasty, like indulgent, fresh, like that's kind of like what the pantry is about. But it doesn't restrict itself to a region. It's not like, oh, we have to use this because it's Nigerian. No, we'll use anything. We'll use a Nepalese peppercorn or an Indian peppercorn, combine it with an African peppercorn. It's a bit of a cliched question, but, but it does feel appropriate given what we've discussed so far. What, what are your long-term ambitions uh, for, for this restaurant? <laughs> Well, if you asked me that before lockdown, I would I feel, probably would have told you. But now, I think just just to get to the end of the year, first of yeah. all, <laughs> I think that's 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 as far as it goes pretty, now. Once we once we're getting there, then, yeah. then we can probably think about beyond that. But literally now is we're back. We're, step, we're a step back for sure. Hundred financially, we're a step back. I'd say we're a step forward though in terms of our like creativity and like strength, but our stamina is. 10% step back because we're a bit we're already a bit worn out from reopening because it's yeah. quite emotionally draining to do this it's like I don't think we can do I couldn't lock down and then come back and be <laughs> again, like we're here yeah. again with a new tasting menu or a new yeah. innovative menu it's too much long term goal is shareholder return on investment and um, you know sound financial balance sheet for a restaurant that's like the ultimate success for a, a restaurant here like not um, accolades, really. I mean, yes, accolades, but really, it's like our livelihood. You know, that's the long-term goal. Yeah, and and then once that's achieved, then we can think of yeah. of what what to do next. Uh, unfortunately, we still have to be here, and this, as Jeremy said, we've taken a step back. So any any plans to do anything else will we'll just yeah, kind of reverse on that because this still needs a lot of a lot of TLC. But. One thing I'd say is we've been here for three years now and it's kind of, I'm pretty like proud that we've been here for three years. We're kind of an unusual restaurant and we're still going pretty strong. Like we're not like on, we're like, we're doing well, we're doing well. I'm I'm happy about that. Like we we made it to three years and uh, the fact that we did that with such an unusual approach is pretty cool. And I think like the fight's not over, you know, and I feel like we've still got a long way to go. I feel like it's convincing, showing people what we're trying to do and like getting the message out more locally. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think like the fact that we're only a single restaurant is really, we're really lucky actually that we don't have a restaurant group with so many employees. Like it makes it much easier in a way to change and be flexible. And maybe that's the future of restaurants is to work on your one restaurant or two restaurants and not your eight or nine restaurants. Central London feels quiet, but, but the area around Akoi feels particularly desolate. And since Jason Afton's cameo, we haven't seen anyone apart from delivery drivers. I think we're the one of two restaurants that are open here. Yeah. 
there's, uh, there's nothing. The others have stayed closed, yeah. which is a bit, it's a bit weird in the evenings to see that all the lights are off. And there's and no one in the offices. There's no one no, walking exactly. in Piccadilly. Uh, there's a couple of stray tourists. Everyone that come here comes here is fear. It's coming. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, we, we haven't had one walk in. Because I mean, it's no secret. This little area. I mean, it hasn't. It's been quite challenging for for, for a lot of restaurants here. There's been quite a few closures. But it, it feels like you're. You know, I'm sure you've had your ups and downs of this location, but it, it, it almost feels right now. Somehow. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. It's almost more kind of like dystopian, and that almost makes the restaurant even more quirky. That like. You're in this like deserted dystopian central <laughs> London, and you've got this unbelievably cozy, warm restaurant that like where the people inside of it care a lot about how you feel and how you're going to feel about the food, which I think is really special. Like you know, like how many restaurants in London are like that? You know, there are not that many left where the business owners are in the restaurant, the chefs in the restaurant, they're cooking your food and they act, they care that every single table is like super happy. And it's in this like, dystopian central <laughs> London. It's just crazy, but I think it's cool. Like Londoners have the opportunity to experience that. So I like we're trying to encourage people to come out from their sleepy neighbourhoods or their like busy, buzzy neighbourhoods now and come, yeah, come to central London for like a really cool experience. Hopefully, people will start to return to this windy little corner of central London soon. Koi is a brilliant, uncompromising restaurant and is now more accessible than ever. I've been Joe Lutrerio and that was the restaurant podcast brought to you by the team behind Restaurant Magazine. Please do subscribe to listen to more from us.